with you guys. Uh, this past week, especially more towards the beginning, like Monday, Tuesday, were a little bit of a struggle for me. Um, last Sunday was really crowded, um, and so it's, 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 it's been a little uh, tight here, and usually when that happens, that might be exciting for some people. For me, a lot of times, it, it creates a little bit of anxiety in me and a little bit of fear, um, because when I look out on this group of people, my heart's desire for you is that you would be healed and that you would be free and that you would encounter God in a way that, that gives you that abundant life that he promises to all of us who seek him. And so I'm not really interested in growing a big church. I'm really interested in, in fostering and creating uh, an environment for people to, to encounter God and to be healthy spiritually, emotionally. And that's not a responsibility that I take lightly. And so I know um, what the enemy tries to do in those moments where I'm feeling fearful and anxious. For one thing, he's causing that. Um, but secondly, is he tries to discourage me. He tries to make it feel like I've got this big weight on my shoulders to provide that for everyone, even though I know um, that that's not my responsibility, uh, ultimately. So that's just been where I've been this week. So um, it was really good then that uh, we just happened to be uh, studying today about leaders um, and followers, shepherds and sheep um, in First Peter. So it was good for me to sit in this stuff to this week, and, and there were some truths and some reminders that I really needed to hear. And we've been working through First Peter, if you're uh, new with us, and, and Peter is writing this letter to a collection of churches um, in the early 60s A.D., and he's really writing, and you'll, you'll see the tone as we've been going through this, um, in the language of family. Because really, at that point, it was too early in the game to think of things in terms of like organized religion. It was very much little pockets of small house churches uh, where people were very familiar with one another. And so he talked in, in terms of, of fathers and children and, and family as he wrote. And in chapter 5 today, we're going to examine Peter's teaching on leaders, which he refers to as shepherds, and followers, which he refers to as sheep. And, um, and their various roles and the postures that each of those folks should take as they engage and do life with one another in the church of Jesus Christ. And so Peter, as a, a, all young Jewish boys would have, he had his mind filled with the knowledge of the Old Testament and the imagery of sheep and shepherds, and specifically um, the warnings that God had given those leaders throughout Israel's history. And, and that imagery he, they, that God used again and again of shepherds and sheep, which was a kind of a common occupation that they would have connected with at the time. And Peter knew that God reserved some of his harshest criticism for shepherds who did not care for the sheep well, people that God loves so dearly. So I want you to open your Bibles to kind of see an example of that um, to Ezekiel chapter 34. It's page 784 in your pew Bibles, Ezekiel 34. 
It's page 784. And Ezekiel is a prophet, a, a spokesman for God, and so God is speaking through Ezekiel to the people. And in chapter 34, verse 1, he says, The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because they were, there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth, and no one searched or looked for them. Let's skip down to verse 9. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food for them. So this is some pretty serious talk here, my God. God is laying out and reminding the shepherds, these are the things you should be doing for your people. You ought to be caring for the flock. You ought to be healing the the broken and the wounded and taking care of the sick spiritually, right? He says you ought to be nourishing them and providing for them and bringing back the strays and the wanderers and searching out the lost. But he says instead you're looking out for your own self-interest and you're using the people for your own selfish gain, And God made it clear that at the end, he says, you will be held accountable for that, for the way that you're neglecting and mistreating the people that I care so much for. And then in the midst of this poor leadership and several examples like that through the Old Testament, you also hear other prophets who are are prophesying about this good shepherd that was going to come. Guys like Micah, in Micah chapter 5, this is what he says. He says, but you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. Right? They will live securely. Like That's the imagery we get from that, that psalm we just sang, Psalm 23. Right, Your shepherd's staff comforts me. Right? You're my peace. And so some 600 years after Ezekiel, Jesus came to be the good shepherd. And he, and he speaks and he uses a language and he uses imagery that the people of Israel would have connected with. So I want you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 10 and look at how Jesus describes himself. It's page 977. <clears throat> John chapter 10, starting in verse 11, Jesus says this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. 
Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. So Jesus is teaching his disciples what it looks like to be a good shepherd and to care for the sheep well. And incidentally, we, this morning, we are the sheep not of the sheep pen. Okay, we're the, we're the Gentiles, the non-Jews that are invited into Jesus' ministry. So his redemption was for all of us. Okay, and we see an example of Jesus' shepherd's heart on several occasions in Scripture. You see um, times when he comes upon a crowd and he looks out at them and at different times he weeps because these people, he says, are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Okay, it kills him to see his children cared for poorly. And today, um, there are Christian churches all over this world, right? Especially here in America. And it seems like there are some churches where God's favor seems to rest and other churches where it seems like uh, God has removed his favor from that place for whatever reason. And I think a lot of times it boils down to leadership. And more specifically, are churches operating like an organization or are they operating like a family? And you can easily tell the difference between the two. Because I've been in churches in my own past where I've really felt used um, for whatever gifts or talents that I bring to the table and how those gifts or talents feed into the Sunday morning machine or the programs that we've got going on around here. And so if I add value to that, then I might be cared for a little bit more than if I don't. But even when I was engaged in doing things, I felt a lot of times in certain places where I've been, like my heart was just kind of ignored. (laughs) Like, hey, you're kind of on your own spiritually, you know. And so that left me at different times kind of with a bitter taste in my mouth about church, about leadership, because it didn't feel like family. It felt like a job a lot of times. So God anoints leaders in the church to shepherd and care for the sheep, to instruct them, to care for them, to lead them to places of nourishment um, and the word of God, to community, to worship and serving and loving one another. And honestly, I live with a pretty healthy fear uh, that at some point God would ever raise his hand of favor from this place. That because of poor leadership on my part or our board or our staff, that God's favor would depart from us. And today Peter's going to be speaking to our staff, our board, uh, those of you that are volunteer leaders in here, young life leaders, leaders in ministry, teachers, anybody that has a flock of people. And not just if you have one now, but a lot of you guys may not be in those contexts now, but you soon will be. And so he's speaking to all of those folks this morning, but he's also speaking and giving some words of instruction for the sheep and the sheep's responsibility to follow the leadership of the shepherds that God has placed and appointed to you. 
So let's go ahead and open 1 Peter 5 if you want to flip over to the, almost the back, page 11, 12 in your pew Bibles. First Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 1, he says this, To the elders among you I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. So the first thing you see in verse 1 is that Peter calls himself a fellow elder, which is pretty humble on his part because he's like one of the greatest apostles uh, of all time. So he could have been kind of arrogant and prideful, but he's very humble here. And as we mentioned last week, uh, a lot of that has to do with the fact that, that Peter failed a lot, right? Especially in the early years when he's walking around with Jesus and kind of trying to learn the Jesus way, he, he messed up a lot, And as we mentioned last week, he also knows what it means to be restored, to be forgiven, to be brought back in after that failure. And last week we talked about this conversation that the resurrected Jesus has with Peter when they meet again after the cross. And Jesus gives Peter the opportunity to kind of reinstate his loyalty to Jesus, his love. Jesus asked him on three occasions, Peter, do you love me? And Peter replies each time, yes, Lord, you know I love you. What command does Jesus give back to Peter after every one of those? Yeah, feed my sheep. Isn't that interesting that that's what Jesus says more than anything? He says, Peter, if you really love me, the way that you're going to show that love for me, is by caring for the people that I'm going to entrust you with. Not the words you say to me right now, but the way that you love and care for the people that I'm going to put under your leadership. Jesus doesn't say, if you love me, Peter, go build a really big church with some impressive programs and make a name for yourself in ministry. He says, care for my sheep. Be a good shepherd. In verse 2, Peter says this. He says, be a good shepherd of God's flock that is under your care. And that's just a little reminder from Peter that people aren't ours. You guys aren't mine. You're God's. Right? Just like a teacher is entrusted with a classroom of kids each year. Those kids aren't theirs all right, they're theirs for a certain number of hours a day, but those kids have parents, right? But you've been entrusted to care for them. So while they are under your care, for however long of a season that is or how many hours a day, Peter says, lead them with a willing heart, not out of obligation. And I'll be the first to admit that there are times when that is a struggle for me. There are times as a pastor, as a shepherd, where I feel like I am doing things out of duty. 
where it does feel like a chore sometimes instead of a privilege. And sometimes that's been my issue. Times in life where I've just been kind of selfish or prideful or distracted or just worn down. And sometimes, honestly, the sheep have been kind of hard to deal with, right? Nobody, none of you personally, right? I don't want to name any names. But sheep sometimes can be frustrating for leaders because they wander off, right? You invest all this time in someone and then they just won't listen to you. They disappear. They run back to the old things or they complain about the provision or the lack of provision that you're providing them. And honestly, it's kind of the same as as being a parent, isn't it? In a lot of ways, right? We can take for granted the opportunity that we have to love and invest in our kids, especially when it's hard and they're not really cooperating with the program. But you can always tell the people who are leading because they have a willing heart as opposed to those who are doing it out of obligation, right? I mean, you can tell. There's a joy present in those people, even in the midst of the struggle. So all of you leaders out there, shepherds, I just want to say this. Like, do what you're doing because you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good in your life, and you desperately want other people to experience that too. And if you can't say that that's why you're doing it, then just don't do it for a while. Right? Make sure your heart's right. Peter goes on to say this, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Man, what a great phrase there, eager to serve. I mean, for me, that's what separates good shepherds from folks that are just kind of in it for the wrong reasons. People that are eager to serve. I, uh, I've traveled a lot um, domestically and internationally. And when I do, I cross paths with pastors all over the world. And it doesn't take very long to kind of discern or to sense whether this pastor that you're meeting has a shepherd's heart or not. And my radar is pretty sensitive for that. And I can usually pick up on that in not much time (laughs) by the way that they talk to other people, just honestly the amount of joy that they have even in the midst of really troubling circumstances. And you can see the people that are kind of in it just for their own glory or gain um, and others that are really eager to serve. And um, anybody else experienced that on trips where you've seen that? And you've kind of, sometimes you just meet some pastors and you just kind of get the willies, man. You're just like, man, there's something wrong here. And then you meet guys like I met in Haiti, some of us that went last, last uh, January maybe, um, we went into this, this town, this, this uh, orphanage. This pastor was operating the church. He was, had an orphanage of like 80-plus kids that he was you know, trying to care for, raise money for, and he just had a lot on his plate. And it's in times like that where I just realized, man, Bob, you've got it easy <laughs> compared to these guys. But I remember we just asking um, if we could just pray for him. And immediately he just fell to the ground on his knees and just bowed his head and put his hands up and just, he just stayed in that position for 10 or 15 minutes as long as we were laying our hands on and and praying for him. And I mean, I didn't know that guy for more than a half hour and I could see this guy is humble, he's eager to serve. I would follow that guy anywhere. 
his posture just exuded a willingness. But you know what? If we're honest, we're not always eager to serve. I mean, that's going to kind of ebb and flow throughout life, depending on on our circumstances sometimes and, and what's going on in our life. But hopefully that's our pervasive spirit, even during kind of down seasons that we have. But here's the deal, leaders, so I want you to listen. It is our responsibility to restore our eagerness. It's our responsibility to restore our eagerness. And so what that might mean is that for a while, you might need to take a break. You might need to set aside a day where you just go and just pray and just sit and listen and not earn your sense of satisfaction out of what you do, but just who you are. It might mean that you might need to take a day off to just go play, just have some fun, just remember the goodness of life, right, in the midst of all the demands. It might mean that you need to go and just hang out with some friends, some friends that might be able to, to say some things to you that you can't see in a season of ministry because you've just been so head down, diving in, trying to accomplish all these tasks and that they can just kind of pull the blinders back and just say, hey, man, you need to take a break. People that are going to put wind in your sails. Sometimes it might mean that you need to get counseling because you're hurting and you can't even figure out where the pain or the anxiety or the frustration or the anger is coming from. And you need somebody that can just tenderly walk you through some things and, and help you. And I've been in that place. Sometimes you might need to take a sabbatical and just not do what you're doing for a while. And Justin and I are both going to be having a sabbatical this year, so I'm excited about that. Don't call me. Don't text me. Don't even think about me, right? (laughs) And guys, that's what's called self-leadership and self-care. And I remember reading a book one time. Actually, Bill Hybels wrote it. And he talks about um, that self-leadership ought to be what we do. Like 60% of our time as leaders ought to be self-leadership. Because if you get drained and dried up, you will be no good to the sheep. You'll be no good to them. Believe me, I've been in those places, and what it does is it makes me critical. It makes me demanding. I get easily frustrated with people, and the sheep know it. They sense it, right? Beating the sheep with the stick too much, right? So just care for your heart. Watch over it. Verse 3. Not lording it over others, but being examples to the flock. Peter, Peter had heard these words from, from the mouth of Jesus many times. So I want you to look at, at we got a slide here actually, of Matthew twenty twenty five. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercised authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So the chief servant and chief shepherd, Jesus, was the greatest servant. And Peter learned that lesson the hard way. 
And at one point, Jesus had to rebuke Peter because Peter's idea of where this thing was going with Jesus was this path of upward mobility, right? More titles, more prestige, more power. And Jesus was like, no, it's the exact opposite. Peter's, Jesus is going, it's about downward mobility. It's about laying down the things, especially for Jesus, the, the rights that he had as the king of kings. I'm going to set those aside. I'm going to wash people's feet. I'm going to lay down my life. And Peter was in conflict with Jesus because he couldn't quite understand that idea. And, you know, I was a young life leader for a long time. Uh, and, and you know people who are serving as young life leaders who are in it for their own glory or who are in it for the kids in Christ, Right? And you can see that as well. And that's a learning process for a lot of us. But as shepherds, the sheep are watching us. And they're looking for examples of what it means to reflect Jesus' humility and his service to others. We got to celebrate Dave Hines' 50th birthday uh, that's coming up this week. I know. Can't believe it. You don't look a day over 60, Dave. Yeah. But you want to talk about a guy who sets an example of what it looks like to love and care for people and just the stories people were sharing about what kind of, what Dave makes people feel like. It's just good to be around him because he, he just encourages you all the time. And I've got to be honest too, guys here, I play such a small role here. Like most of the heavy lifting around here really comes from you guys. And I learned so much about the example you guys set for what it looks like to be willing servants because a lot of you guys are doing it and you're not getting paid, right? Our band comes in on Wednesday or Thursday night, practices for a couple hours, comes early on Sunday morning, practices some more. You know, there's folks that are feeding and caring for kids in our neighborhood week after week after week. You know, tons of folks that are out there watching our 10 million kids week after week after week, so that we can come in here, some of us parents that can just kind of breathe for a moment, you know, get re-energized so we can go back and be good shepherds to the little flock we might have at home. But man, you guys do such a great job of teaching me what that looks like. And Peter says, be an example. Be an example, not of perfection, but be an example of an honest pursuit of Christ which is going to be filled with failures and stumbles and a a fair amount of humility and graciousness towards those that are in the game and they're trying and they fail sometimes too. Because people want to follow leaders who are real, not perfect. And do it all with your eyes focused on this promise in verse 4. He says that when Christ appears one day, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. You see, Christ is watching us lead, and he is eager to reward those who are loving his children well with a shepherd's heart. So enough about shepherds, all right? Now we're going to talk about the sheep, and the reality is, is that we're all sheep. Even if we're shepherds, we're God's sheep. He's the, he's the good shepherd. So let's take a look at verse 5. He says this, In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders... All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. 
He says, submit yourselves to one another. And last year when we studied the Jesus way, we talked about Jesus' way of submission and how Jesus, even though he was God, for the benefit of God's glory, he submitted himself under the authority of his Father. And we said that if it was good enough for Jesus, how can it not be good enough for us? How can we say that we're above being submissive? But as humans and our sinfulness, there's something in us that rebels sometimes against putting ourselves under human authority. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that a lot, all of us, really, we've all been hurt. Some of us were hurt at home, and those original shepherds, mom and dad, weren't loving, caring shepherds like they could have been. And so as sheep, as children, we were hurt by that, and so it makes it hard for us to trust other people. Some of us have been hurt by the church. Some of us have been hurt under the leadership of pastors who, for whatever reason, have just broken us a little bit. And so it makes us leery to trust people again. But guys, the key phrase in verse 5 is this. It's to clothe yourselves with humility. God didn't say, submit yourselves to perfect leaders. Because newsflash, none of you are perfect either. Right? We are all broken. Me, you, But for whatever reason, God chose me to be the pastor here. I didn't pick that. All right? So you're stuck with me. I'm stuck with you, too. So it goes both ways. Right? So in that knowledge, we have this mutual responsibility to clothe ourselves with humility towards one another. We We can be in tension with one another at times. We can have disagreements about various topics. That's normal stuff. What we can't have tension about and what we can't disagree on is our call to be humble with one another. Because any time that there is conflict and tension in the church, in the family of God, there is always a lack of humility present. It's always pride that causes the strife and the turmoil. Remember Peter's words from last week, chapter 4, verse 8. Above all, love each other deeply because love what? Covers over, right? Love covers over. It doesn't look to call out and expose. (laughs) It looks to cover over with grace and mercy a multitude of sins. Guys, whether you like the plan or not, the Spirit of God works through the people of God. That's how he's chosen to do it, right? And whether you are a shepherd or a sheep, we're all sheep. Sometimes we'll be shepherds and different seasons you'll wear different kinds of shepherd hats. Some of us are multiple shepherds over many flocks, it feels like. We are his ambassadors. And God is making his appeal to the world through us in our various roles that we play. And when we get it right, when as leaders we are humble and eager to serve, man, it can be a really beautiful thing. 
And you can see people being healed and transformed and set free and families and marriages being restored, relationships being restored. And the world takes notice of that. But when we get it wrong, when the leaders are harmful to the sheep, when the sheep are stubborn and petty and non-submissive to the leadership, it's damaging. And the world sees that too. And they get this bitter taste in their mouth about God and about church. And I don't know if you guys know, but the numbers continue to not be encouraging in our country. The number of churches that are closing, the number of ministers that are leaving the ministry, the number of people who went to church that are not going and not staying as adults, it, it's, it's ugly, but we've caused a lot of that ourselves, unfortunately, I think. <laughs> so what do we do? Everybody wants the three tips, right, to walk away with. What do we do with this? Well, I think what we need to do more than anything is usually the most difficult thing to do, and that's that we need to pray. <laughs> we need to pray. Because I can't be a great shepherd just by deciding that's what I really want to do. Of course I want to do that, right? I mean, what shepherd, except when they're really weird and twisted, <laughs> wants to hurt people? Most shepherds want to do a good job. But we also have to realize that there's an enemy out there that doesn't want those shepherds to do well. And they're going to find the cracks and the chinks in my character, and they're going to hit it, and they're going to push on it. Because the enemy would love nothing more than to destroy me and destroy Wellspring or other churches in town or in our world. And so you all need to pray for me. You need to pray for our staff, pray for our board, pray for our Young Life leaders, pray for yourselves if you're in one of those roles, pray for our teachers, pray for our parents. We need to pray as sheep that we would hear the voice of the shepherd, that we would listen and we would obey, that we would be humble that we would be eager to serve, and in all of that, that God would be most glorified and that his favor would continue to rest on us. And guys, as we come to the communion table today, guys, we come as family. And the reason why at Wellspring we start off with a full loaf of bread is this reminder that we are one, right? We come to the table and we take part in one loaf. We are one body. Actually, we have two because we have a few more people than we used to, but you get the idea, right? We're two loaves. We're one body. And when we participate in this together, what we're acknowledging when we receive this is that we are receiving God's forgiveness, his mercy, his grace for us. We're acknowledging that we're a mess and that we need him. But guys, the Bible's also clear that we can't enter into this and receive this and then also still harbor unforgiveness towards others. That's like spitting on the mercy and the grace that we're receiving at the time. And so there are some times when it's good for you not to take communion and just to sit still and just to examine your heart and maybe before next communion, 
go and apologize to that person who you're kind of harboring ill will towards, you're holding the grudge with, or maybe go and seek forgiveness from somebody that's really hurt you that you can't let go of that either, and try to reconcile that relationship and at least do your part in reconciliation whether that person receives it or not. That's really important, guys, that we do that. So we're going to give you some time of silence, just allow you to just talk and connect with God about what he might have shared with you today. Then the ushers will dismiss you to come down, tear off a piece of the bread, dip it in the cup. And we also have gluten-free crackers uh, there too as well if you need that. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your example to us of, of what a good shepherd looks like. How important that is, God, that you are a person that's eager to serve, that's clothing yourself in humility, that's laying down your life for others. God, help us to be good sheep who listen to you, who submit ourselves to your authority so that we can be just humble examples to others. God, speak to us in our quietness and stillness right now about the things in our heart that need to be addressed. We give you this time.